Okay, that was way cute. I, you know, it's hard for uh, me to focus on the readings because I was just focusing on the kids. But thank you, Kingdom Kids, for that scripture reading. Hey, before I continue, um, as Pastor James did, I want to ask again, would you take about 30 seconds on your stream, Facebook, YouTube, or Church Online, and if you're on campus, uh, staff members, if you're uh, online, can you take a minute and just engage uh, emoji Hello, um, she, you know, like hand-waving, uh, about 30 seconds. And then when someone responds, say hello to that person. Would you do that for me? So if you're here on campus too, and um, say hello to your community online. I'm going to check later on to see how good we are doing Hey, well, welcome. You know, we're back just on online worship, and, and I have a, a nearly empty sanctuary, just those who are serving and participating um, in helping to stream the service. But, you know, we're still grateful that we can be together online at least uh, to be able to worship together, Sabbath together. And I hope that you would remember to Sabbath, to uh, pause from productivity so that you can um, focus on praise and worship and just being with God, okay? Um, today, our passage is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. So if you have not fired up your app or opened up your Bible, would you do so with me? Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Jesus is uh, teaching a very large crowd, it says in verse 1. It was such a big crowd that came uh, to him Perhaps they wanted to hear his teaching or they wanted to see more of his miracles. But they pressed upon him so much that he had to actually literally get into a boat and go into the lake a bit and teach from the lakes because of the crowd and, and the crowd was on the lake side. He employs a particular teaching method called the parable. And a parable is when you give an illustration using life examples that the crowd would be familiar with, and he does so oftentimes using uh, the parable of uh, like fishing, or in this case, uh, farming in, the, in an agrarian society. And in verse 9, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, we, we heard the scripture reading. Let me just make three observations before I get into the points. The first observation is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. There's a transaction that is occurring between the sower and the soil. The sower sows the seed and the soil receives the seed. But the, the main character in this uh, parable is that of the seed. And we find out later on the identification is of the seed is the word of God. And Luke chapter 8 verse 11 tells us specifically that it is God's propositional truth given to mankind. Uh, it is the gospel truth designed to change us. The sower is he who gives us the word, in this particular case, Jesus Christ. And later on, it's the written word of God, or just even today as it is being delivered to you. And the, so the soil, and this is the differential. The sower 
and the seed remains the, a, a constant, but it is the soil which is different in all four cases. And the soil represents the hearer of the word of God. And, and later on, when it talks about the fruit, the fruit has changed lives. Now, the second observation is that the seed has the power of life. Unlike an inanimate object that is very small, you can take a very small piece of gold and put it into the ground, and that gold will not multiply. But by definition, life is something that grows and multiplies. And a seed, if you really think about it, is, it is, it is um, fascinating. It has the power uh, to grow and to give life. And, uh, and this particular seed, the, the word of life, the word of God has the power to, to grow and to change and reproduce. And the third observation is that the seed often does not produce life. I know this is poor uh, statistics, but there are four examples given. In three of the four, 75% of the cases, the seed does not produce life, but it, is, it remains dead, it is devoured, it is withered, or it is choked. And only in one out of the four instances, or 25% of the case, in which it actually uh, creates life and grows. And so in most of the cases, as Jesus says in this parable, uh, this word of God that goes forth, the gospel that goes forth, does not produce fruit or change lives. Now, this, I believe, parable is uh, addressing an extremely important question. It was, it's such an important question, such a practical question, especially for those of us at Living Hope, that I was tempted to email the church uh, saying, hey, please stream this Sunday because this message is really important. But I, I decided not to because it might signal that other Sundays are not as important. But this is important because it's practical. It has relevance for you. Um, and the relevance and the question that it addresses is this. Why is it that some people hear the gospel message, are saved and changed forever, while most do not? Why is it that Christians, we hear the word of God being preached or read, uh, or, or we interact with it when we study it, why is it that some people's lives are changed and they grow, but most really doesn't, they don't seem to change? Why is it that even in our own lives, in your life, you interact with the Word of God, and, and if you are streaming with us this morning, uh, and you are one of the more faithful ones, why is it that there are parts of your life in which you hear sermons or you read uh, poignant uh, verses that addresses those parts of our lives, but uh, there are a few portions of our lives that have changed, but so many other areas of our lives that never change and bear fruit. Why is it that? And I believe Jesus, when he gave this parable, is addressing this particular question. And what he is saying to you and me is this, the problem isn't the sower, the problem isn't the seed, but the variable is the soil, how we are receiving the seed or the word of God. So there are four um, t 
types of soil, and I'm going to call it four kinds of hearts. Uh, the hardened heart, the shallow heart, the distracted heart, and finally the uh, receptive heart. And I believe that, that each one of us uh, show time, at times, each one of these tendencies. And, and so see where you kind of fit and where you land on some of these things. The, the first soil is the hardened soil or the hardened heart. And uh, if you look at verse 4, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And notice that it's not called the soil, but rather a path. A path, um, it is dirt, but because it had been flattened and people have uh, trampled over it, walked on it, that it is hard now. Um, and Luke chapter, five, uh, chapter 8 verse 5 uh, says that it had been trampled underfoot. Now this is the explanation of that soil. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Uh, the word was preached, but it never really penetrated the top surface because the, the path uh, the, the soil has been so hard that the seed cannot penetrate. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, to better understand it, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is um, the explanation given in the synoptics of, of uh, Matthew. Now it says that that person does not understand it. I don't believe it means that he doesn't intellectually understand it, but rather, look carefully. Um, the evil one comes and takes, uh, uh, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So what's going on is this: that the message was delivered, the word of God, the the, the propositional truth had been given, uh, but. It doesn't go and penetrate into the heart. And it's been taken away. And so the word of God only becomes an intellectual exercise. And I believe the hardened heart is someone who is more intellectually driven, knowledge driven. They hear the word of God. They intellectually understand it, but it stays only at the surface, at the top surface level, and it never really goes and penetrates to the heart. You know, I believe at Living Hope, for so many of us here today, uh, I know that we have a lot of really um, Bible-oriented, knowledge-driven, intellectual people. And we care, so many of us care about uh, theology and doctrine and, and the such. And that's good. Um, but the problem oftentimes is that we are so Bible or just mere intellectually driven and that we've grown up in the church all of our lives and we feel like we know that oftentimes we've developed this pattern or habit of uh, receiving the word or biblical truth or the word of God just at the head level. And we do not spend time or allow it to penetrate 
all the way into the heart. And so we've made a habit of hearing the word of God and allowing that to be snatched out of us before it penetrates into the heart. You know, I think one of the things that uh, has happened during this COVID lockdown is this. This has been I don't know how many months. But uh, so many of us have been uh, in the church for a long time, and it is a habit for us to, to come to church and listen to the Word of God. But because we're unable to come to church, what's being revealed is um, that perhaps we weren't as driven or motivated uh, to receive the seed that we thought that, that perhaps we were driven more by other things and not necessarily bad things, maybe community, maybe programs for our children, not necessarily bad things, but our desire to interface, receive the word of God, maybe that wasn't as strong as we thought. You know, uh, Barna, which is uh, the leading research group for the church, recently uh, released an article and they surveyed those that, considered faith strongly and thought that that was really important. And they used to attend pre-COVID at church at least once a month. And at the end of April and May, this was when this uh, research was done. And so this was really early on. So I, I believe that now the numbers have even uh, declined more. But this is what they found. Look at the, the graph. And this was like people who considered faith strongly and used to attend that now 35% attend their pre-COVID church and 18% are attending uh, multiple churches, including their home church. Okay, combined that's 53%. So 53% are uh, viewing or attending so-called their home church. 18% are, uh, or no, 14% are now attending a different church. You know, which is kind of sad, but... Um, you know, at least they're still attending. Now, here's the surprising thing. 32% or about a third of practicing Christians say that they have not attended or streamed any church within the past month. And like I said, this was done a little while ago, so we believe that the numbers are, are worse now. Now, what is more discouraging is when we uh, look at these numbers by age categories. For boomers, which I am, 26% have stopped attending church. So one out of four older people like me have stopped attending church. 35% of Gen Xers have stopped attending church, about a third. Now, this is what's really troubling. 20, um, about 50% of the millennials, and millennials are defined as that age category between the ages of 23 and 38. So for Living Hope, it would be uh, prime and young married, about half of them have stopped attending church. And, and what is really disappointing and surprising is that uh, if we really desired to hear from the word, from, from the Lord, and if that was one of our main motivation, um, and it is now easier even to hear the word of God, uh, you would think that, that online attendance would still be steady, but about half have stopped, especially among young people. For some people, the reason why there's no fruit is not the sower, it's not the seed, 
but it is the hardened heart. Um, the second kind of soil that Jesus talks about is the shallow heart. It's the shallow heart. Verse 5. Let's look at the screen here. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Now, it said it has some soil, but it did not have depth of soil. It is described as, a rock, as rocky ground. It does not mean that there was rocks mixed in with the soil. What this means is this. There was a, a very thin layer of topsoil on top of bedrock. So there is some dirt, so there is some soil, but there's no depth there. And this is the explanation. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and when they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, this is the response to the word. The, uh, the response is emotional. There is joy, right? And that joy is, is authentic. It's, it is an authentic joy. And um, I, I believe, especially for those that are feelers, and especially for younger people, uh, they would say, you know, they have the feels with the Z. And, and nowadays, truth is defined by many people as not necessarily what is objective truth, but how I feel about it. And so, our, uh, so the goal of many people is to be uh, synced with how they feel about something, and that is what they define as true and anchoring. And so for many people, the Christian life is a pursuit of, of, of a constant, sustained, emotional, high, or consistency. And so they would come to church, and they, they long for a great, great praise set or a convicting message, and the message can be comforting as well as convicting. And a person may uh, lift both hands up, uh, will fervently take notes, or even get a little bit teary-eyed. But for this emotion-driven person, as opposed to an intellect-driven person, it is primarily an emotional exercise. And here's the problem. Verse 6 tells us, When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. And verse 17, Because they have no root themselves. It was an untethered emotion. It was not tied to uh, a, a, some you know, propositional truth, but it, it was simply an, uh, something that just happened. The seed was not able to go deep, find their way th through the soil to get a source of life-giving water. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 6 says, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, here's the problem with emotion-based faith. Emotion-based or emotion-driven or emotion-exclusive faith. And, and I want to say that emotion is important. And I, I don't want us to think that 
that that emotion is bad, feeling is bad, that it's okay to have, uh, to be absolutely in love with God without feeling anything, that's ridiculous. If a, if, um, if a young a girl says, I, I met this young man and he asked me to marry him and, and she says, I'm thinking that I'm going to say yes because I've done my analysis and uh, the return on investment seems very sound. Um, the, the, you know, the, the risk-benefit um, ratio is, is, is sound. And, and the analysis is good. And, and I would say, well, do you love him? He said, no, I, I feel absolutely no emotion toward him. I'm not attracted to him at all. But I think it's a good investment. And I would say, no, that's silly. Emotions could go up and down, but you have to have a certain degree of attraction to him, do you not? But on the other hand, if a young lady comes to me and says, I met this young man, and I think I'm, I'm in love. And he asked me to marry him. I barely know his name. I know almost nothing about him. Um, but... You know, we can finish each other's sandwiches. It's, it's frozen, right? Um, I would say, well, that's silly. Because that feeling of love is not tethered in fact and knowledge and conviction. It's just shallow. And um, what, what James 1 says about that kind of faith is that it is a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. It is double-minded and unstable. Relying primarily on emotions, it's unreliable, unsustainable. It's kind of like a drug that, that we want more and more of, and it, it wears off after a while. And, you know, and here's the thing. Being online exposes something. Okay? Now, a lot of church experts believe that in order uh, that one of the most important things that, that they need to do for an individual when they come to church is provide an, a great experience. And a great experience is something like this. You get them packed together, you know, turn, on, turn down the lights with the, uh, um, and then and, and shine lights up on the stage and, and the music and the crescendo and, and, and uh, hazers or fog machines. And you get them to have an amazing experience. And the problem with being online is that we can't replicate that through the stream. And so what it's exposing is this, is that those who are uh, driven by emotions are not being satisfied online. And here's the second problem with emotion-driven faith. It's not only unsustainable, but an emotion-driven faith is is vulnerable to emotion-driven circumstance. And so um, what we are told here is that trials and tribulation, when they come, that, that we have difficulties. Um, when opposing feelings come, that we 
uh, that our emotion-based heart will fall away, it says. Now, let me give you an example of how this may work. Today, we just sang a song right before I came up. Uh, one of the songs we sang, the words went something like this, if I can. And, and, and I don't know if you realize, but in the history of the modern church, uh, songs, praise songs, were written mostly by theologians and pastors. But it's in modern days, and it's, the history of this is not that deep, really. In, in modern Western Christianity, songs no longer are written by theologians, but by creative people. And so the creative people, but like the psalmists, uh, you know, we're not saying that they're bad. Um, they aim for the emotion as, and not necessarily the intellect. And let me give you an example, Okay. Now, this is a song that we just sang. I lift my hands to heaven, hear my heart surrendered. I tell my soul again, you are the Lord of all. Though the seas are raging, you will speak and tame them. In you I find my rest. You are in control. Like I said, um, it's kind of like the psalm. There's a lot of metaphors and things of that nature. But they're also employing devices and words and phrases that, um, that people like me, uh, that I'm, I'm more of a thinker than a feeler, I just would not necessarily use, and I, you know, John, I can say that John is here because he prayed, so I can say, hey, John, you know, it's good to see you. Hey, don't you think that the seas are raging right now? Isn't it good to know um, that God will speak and tame them? Like, you know, we wouldn't say that. We would, John and I would say, hey, what's the COVID number like today? Is it up, down, is it setting a record? What about compared to mortality rates? We used to talk facts and not necessarily emotions. But this is what's going on. Um, songwriters use devices to appeal to the emotion. And this is what I found myself, and even today as I was singing, now mouthing the words of the song, I lift my hands to heaven, um, I tell my soul again, you are Lord of all. You know, this is what I found. That instead of focusing on the meaning of the words, I found myself being carried away by the emotion of the music. What was designed uh, to reinforce the meaning of the words have become the, the thing that we remember the most. And so when we hear a, or when we experience a great praise set with uh, everything in tune and crescendoing up and we, uh, we feel the music, we say, that was great praise. But what we're saying is really that was a great emotional experience. And what was designed where we confessionally together proclaim that God is in control. We forget about that. So when, on our drive home, when someone cuts us off, we forget that God is in control. We post something on social media and someone comments in a way that, we, that offends us. Or when our children act in a way that we don't like. We've forgotten everything that we've sung because what we did when we sang that song was just focus on the experience and not necessarily allow that to penetrate. Now, the third soil, I call it the distracted heart. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, grew up, and choked it, and it yielded 
no grain. Now, uh, this soil was not um, a shallow with, with um, rocks underneath. It wasn't hard like a path. It was a fertile soil, but this was the problem with this particular soil. It had weed or tears in it, thorns. Um, for those of you who have uh, lawns, I don't know if you're like me, but there was a particular period of time when I really cared about my front lawn. I discovered at some point in time there are different kinds of grass, and so I, I kind of became a little bit obsessed with wanting a perfect lawn. And so I, I took pieces of different pieces of whatever I could find, and I took it to um, Home Depot, and I asked, well, what is this? What is that? What is that? And what should I have in my front yard? And they said, well, you sh it sounds like you should have tall fescue. Well, what is this? Well, crabgrass. Well, what is this? Well, dandelion. Well, I don't want things that don't belong. And so I, I just determined, I, I, I got determined to get rid of all my weed. The problem with dandelion is that if you leave it just, if you just mow it, it just cuts off the top and leaves the roots so it keeps growing back. And the problem with crabgrass is that it kind of looks like grass, but, and, and if you leave pieces, it'll, it'll grow back. And if you're planting, if you're seeding a lawn, unless you get rid of those things, your new seeds will just get choked out by competing with the, the resources. Now, here's what, here's the explanation. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I want you to notice here that these are not necessarily bad things that compete. Um, cares of the world, just caring about the things surrounding our life. My lawn. The deceitfulness of riches. It's not riches, but it's believing that that's my hope. That if my, my portfolio listing is good, that that will give me peace and security. And simply the desires for other things. It's hobbies. It's the, it's the Lakers. Nothing wrong with any of those things. My lawns, my livelihood, and my Lakers. And some of the people here have a higher capacity than others. And you are an overachiever and you can do all of those things. But here, listen, here's the problem. You can only have one primary thing. There can only be one primary thing. There's only one kind of grass that you're, you're going to grow. That will suck up, that you, that you want to give, you want to feed most of your resources. And if you're trying to do multiple things, it'll starve that primary thing. And I believe that for Living Hope, uh, we, we have sometimes the, the knowledge or intellectual drivenness kind of faith. We, we sometimes uh, fall into an emotion-driven faith, but we also oftentimes, and I think maybe in Living Hope, this is, we have a lot of these, that we have a, a duty-driven faith, that we do religion, and it is, one of the many things that we are dutiful to, including mowing our lawns, including being faithful to our livelihood, including to our lakers. 
and that we believe as long as I'm doing the right things, that's good enough. And it doesn't really matter how I think about it, how I feel about it. Let me get to the final one. The fourth soil, verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding a 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And the interpretation is pretty much the same, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit um, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And like I said, fruit is, I think, kind of like life changed. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kind. Um, so is it producing those things? Now, uh, you know, why is it that oftentimes we, especially in the church, we hear the word of God. That has power to give life, but it doesn't give life. Why does it so often not produce anything? And I believe that in the parallel passage, Luke chapter 8, verse 15, there, he gives us three insights as to why and what's necessary. First, uh, oh, as for that, in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, and this is the difference uh, of this uh, receptive soil. They hold it fast um, in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There are three elements to being receptive. Number one, they uh, cling to it. They sit beside quiet waters. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, as the psalmist says in chapter 1. It's not just a passing intellectual understanding. It's not just an emotional experience. It's not just doing the right things, but you sit on it. And secondly, and this is so important, uh, with an honest and good heart, and I believe this is so, so important, an honest heart. I can't tell you how important this is. This is, what, um, uh, this is how a lot of us fail, in that we don't necessarily have an honest heart when we're interfacing with the Word of God, because this is what we do. We have um, a, a, um, a bias uh, of what we believe the Word should say to excuse whatever behavior perspective that we want to have or lifestyle that we want to live. And we twist, reinterpret the word of God to fit our agenda. Or we simply ignore certain things. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. Listen, this is, this is important. I think an honest heart does this. An honest heart will take the word of God even when it says something we don't like has painful implications for us. An honest heart would say, that is the word of God. That's what God demands of me. And instead of reinterpreting it, but an honest heart would simply say, that's the word of God. I just don't like it right now. I'm, I'm just going to fight it right now. That is honest. And I think that provides, that presents a greater um, reception in the long run. 
And I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. And the third thing, the third way a receptive heart works is that they continue to foster it in their heart. They feed the truth in their heart. And, you know, it's a, it, uh, Jesus in his parable said that, it, um, that it's something that you, you're patient with, you endure with it, you stay beside it, you continue to have to feed it. You know, we can feed all of our all agendas, but if we want our intellect, our emotion, and our wills to be in alignment to the Word of God and produce life change, it takes time. So the question, again, is why is it that some people receive the Word of God and, and change? Why is it that um, some people hear certain truths and, and their lives are changed uh, while most don't. Why is it that there are some parts of our lives that never change and, uh, and, it, and Jesus has answered this for us? It's because it's not the sower, it's not the seed, but it's the kind of soil that our heart is. And so, Living Hope, um, ask yourself, has God, the Holy Spirit, produced in me a supernatural love, kindness, goodness, patience, joyfulness, self-control? Is he doing that kind of work in my heart that allows me to forgive in a way that is just, that's not, just not me? And I would ask that you, this day, will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Uh, this moment, this truth once again. Lord Jesus, like we come before you and we thank you for your grace once again we pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to work through the truth that is given to us in the word of God we pray that we don't simply intellectualize it just experience it for a passing moment or just kind of do church but allow it to seep deep inside our hearts even if it's uncomfortable and that we continue to feed our hearts with truth and allow it to change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.